How to Create a Glitch Monologues Season 16 Chapter 7 This is Season 16 of How to Create a Glitch in the Matrix Monologues Episode 7. In this episode, we will be talking again about the nexus between consensual realities, non-consensual realities and the social economy. Now, when we were talking about the social economy we talked about contracts with conjoined expectations. In these contracts, two social actors will expectation match for consideration producing reliance and the acquisition of confidence. In an earlier podcast I used the example of the courtroom and a judicial order to explain consensual and non-consensual realities. The idea was that the agents of the state, force actors, are only permitted to make orders on consent unless the parties cannot agree. When they do agree, it creates a contract between the parties which is binding through the authority of the state. This means it is enforceable by agents of the state. Now, since we know that consent is a pre-existing condition for the enforcement of a contract by the state in this situation, we know that conjoined expectations social contracts produce a consensual reality. Now, social contracts are not enforceable through the state for the most part. When they are, they are called contracts for peace of mind. But these types of contracts are of dubious enforceability. Another thing must be said about social contracts. Some social contracts restrict people the same way that the action of the state does. But the action of the state is modulated by the constitutional rights which underlie the guidelines for the restriction of those rights by others. Essentially what I am proposing is this. Social contracts which restrict guaranteed government rights should be subject to scrutiny by the courts as arbiters of our consensual and non-consensual realities. It makes no sense for someone who has no legal standing in the state to be able to impose on the freedoms of another with no recourse or remedy. In fact, some social contracts are so one-sided that they should be rendered invalid by the law. In effect, what I am proposing is the need for regulation of the social economy, the creation of an architecture of law, to enable the natural principles outlined in these podcasts to function as they should. This would mean scrutiny by government body of the kinds of illegal social contracts that people compel others to enter into daily. Such regulations would plug the holes left in social exchanges left by the vacuum of any financial gain. Among the inalienable rights conferred by constitutions and charters, a liberty, freedom of association, freedom of assembly. So for example, it should be possible if someone attempts to contractually restrict you, in a social sense, from associating with certain people, in exchange for some consideration, like for example, seeing your biological child, this would be an illegal social contract. This also tells us that contextual situations like the example given, can be consensual, through the contract, and it is only in the broadening of the state's power to regulate social contracts that the state can intervene to prevent such an unlawful restriction on liberty and freedom of association. The problem of course, is that constitutional principles don't restrict people, they aren't designed to, they're designed to restrict the power of the state. But there are other forms of court or tribunal such as human rights boards, which do act in the case of corporations or private individuals. Perhaps then, a regulatory body could be created to broaden access to justice in situations where unequal bargaining power in social relationships produces some form of inequity. 
The first step in designing such a system would be carving out the kinds of social contracts the state will oversee from everyday contracts. And this is of course relatively clear, that expectations which undermine some fundamental constitutional right should be subject to review or remedy. There is of course a limit to the scope of these contracts, created by the right to some privacy in your affairs, but the moment that a social contract implicates the rights of another other than the contracting parties, it ceases to be a private act. But in any event, every regulation should be guided by the inherent dignity and worth of individuals as contracting entities. To take a step back for a moment, the state can carve out areas of non-consensuality through regulations over social contracts. A contract which heretofore produced a consensual reality becomes non-consensual once the state's power is engaged over the consent of the participants. Thus, consensual and non-consensual spaces can be carved out through regulation of non-financial areas of social behavior. Now, the added question becomes how would you enforce these kinds of regulations on social participants? The answer is through technology designed to monitor and regulate social behavior. There are already forms of software and apps that do half this job. The ones in existence are meant to assess consent to a sexual act such as the Legal Fling app. But this only does half the job. Not all social contracts are sexual in nature. The same concept could be applied to a wide swath of behaviors unregulated currently which still impact a person's constitutional rights. In Season 7 Episode 8, I give a general outline for a hypothetical technological apparatus or system which could properly be used to give effect to regulations governing social contract which implicates a third person. Finally, the need for this technology and regulation is exemplified in situations where unequal bargaining power restricts someone's freedom of association, precisely because in that scenario the third person isn't even a party to the contract, which often is made without their knowledge or consent. This exemplifies the situation where regulation could assist. A social charter of rights and freedoms could assist. That's the end of the podcast for today. If you enjoyed it, please like, comment and subscribe.